My name is Ayobami Beteriba. Um, I studied history and strategy in University of Lagos. So my, my major is in um, history and my minor is in strategy. Um, how I got into venture capital. Um, I started, and then it, like, first shout out to Ingressive, the whole family. Um, I got into venture capital just as a stem of my relationship with Ingressive LLC. So Ingressive LLC was a is a market entry firm that does um, that has a boutique shop for market expansion, product expansion, and um, kind of analysis of the Afghan ecosystem. Um, founded by Maya Farmer in 2015. Um, I got into Ingressive Capital in December 2019 after I'd done a lot of like groundwork and research and expansion for um, the likes of GitHub, Figma, USCID, um, and about 20 corporate entities and about 30 family offices or whatnot, organizing 60 trips. So I got into Ingressive Capital after um, doing that, that solid work um, across that, and then I just got a purchase from my over everything. Like, oh, I think I think you would make a good fit for the aggressive capital family, um, leading deals and sourcing deals across the continent. And I'm like, oh sure, give me that challenge, I'll take it on. And that's my sojourn into aggressive capital. As a venture capitalist, I wrote in one of my articles that a venture capitalist does four things: um, you source great companies. Um, you do due diligence on those great companies, um, you invest in great companies, and then you make sure to support and enhance those great companies to scale. But as a venture capitalist, that's like in the operations. But there's another angle to it, which is like finding LPs, which is limited partners that give you the money to invest, LP correspondence, talking to them to make sure they are comfortable and they understand your thesis and they see things you're doing on the continent doing the reports back to them to let them know like, oh, we're investing your money in great companies, there's the growth of the companies, these are the companies they support, these are their challenges. And helping them make more money, which is exiting the great companies you invest in and giving them money back in multiples. So venture capital is a business. Yeah, so the thing is, Ingressive Capital was built on the thesis that Africa is 54 countries that are doing amazing stuff just around the black and black community and international international space. Uh, so, um, we are focused on Africa because the thesis of the fund is to support, enable, and scale African businesses, not just in Africa, but across the world. So what we do is that first, we believe in African businesses. That is our primary responsibility, that our fiduciary duties to our help is supporting black founders and then helping them grow across the continent and if the founders choose, enabling them scale out of the continent. So it's targeted, it's targeted at African founders because look at, if you look at the, um, even Africa is exciting now. I mean, 4.9 billion, 4.8 billion, 4.5 billion, it depends on where you get your news, that was invested across the continent. But that's just what was invested in a state in the US. So it might be all geeky, but like, we need funds that are focused yeah, to scale, show the international community that we're actually building innovation here, yeah, and then they can come in with their mega bucks and kind of help us scale it further. So that's like why we are focused. And there's a whole lot of thesis at the back. Um, you could read, Maya wrote an article on Tech about, about the thesis of inclusive capital, why we do what we do. 
Um, but, but majorly it's for you to know that Africa, just before now, has been relegated to whatever happens there happens there. But we are beginning to show the world that a lot of innovation can come out of the continent, begin to exit companies. African companies are buying African companies. International companies are buying African companies. Africa is getting international recognition. I mean, across tabloids, across news channels, uh, our innovation is not just extend to us, it's becoming much more um, something that the international community can be able to benefit from. So we are doing Africa because first is who we are. I mean, I'm a black man, a proud black man. And I believe in black businesses. I believe that just as we are going to be housing 50%, about 80% of the world population by 2050, we can't wait to 2050 to start building things that is for us. We need to start building them now so they can become conglomerates and global businesses at that time. So yeah, that's like why we do this and we'll keep doing this. Um, what do I think of African investors um, as regards foreign investment? Um, so the thing about it is like, these are early days. So we say everybody says this day one. And the truth about it is, the market, the international market, the funding market, the VC market is becoming a viable asset class. Don't quote me as saying it's a win always, no. A viable market has its ups as its downs. So it just shows that people are beginning to see companies as a good place to put their money, to not just put their money for interest and next opportunities, but put their money to support and tell people like, oh, apart from my advice, we support these businesses. So international players would always come. I mean, money follows, money follows money. Like, where there's a chance to make more money, money is going to go there. So it's like global businesses are coming here because we are beginning to show that what we are building is scalable. Hence, they need to put more money on it to make it more scalable. So, would, so foreign investors would always come. And the thing is, they come because they have a deeper pocket than African investors. If you look at the 4.8 that was raised, I mean, over 3 billion is, like, I mean, over even four, close to 4 billion is national money. And we are 500 or so you are still doing like 15% of even as early as this is you are still doing about 15 20% of the global global investments coming to Africa or the global invest the, the overall investment coming to Africa Africans are still investing in just a microcosm of it and it's still a lot of international funds so African investors will step up which is like you start seeing people that invest in traditional businesses see startups or technology companies as an asset class they should diversify into and uh, I mean, big ups to CBN. There are different regulations. I mean, there are different kind of questions that have been happening to BSI living institutions like banks and some other corporates to start putting money into Africa and into African companies. So it's like, yeah, African investors will step up, but the truth is first, global investors are ahead. So if African investors would step and match, the jury's out. Uh, but African investors, I mean, people, people already, founders are already writing checks in more founders. Uh, people that work in companies that are writing checks and their friends that are starting new companies. Um, the diaspora community are doing syndicate clubs and um, rolling funds and uh, investment societies just to put money into more African companies. So it's like, yeah, first, African investors, um, African founders. Second, um, Africans in diaspora. Third, African institutions in Africa, fourth, 
international investors, fifth, international corporates. All these are different arms of investments that you start finding the appetites go higher and more money kind of comes to the continent. So, I mean, the jury is out is who is going to do more. I, I mean, I wish I had this, like, a crystal ball to check it out. I don't have it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I have to say about African investors being scared about investing in African companies at the early stages, early stage is more risk. People are looking for, the, the, the thing is, there's a risk appetite for every individual. It's just the same way it's for every company. So people don't invest in stock because they do not have the art rate to look at stock go zigzag. Yeah, so it's fine. The thing is, what we need is people to have conviction when they invest more. That is more of things we should, that's more of something I can live with. So it's like, for risk, it's the more you start seeing people being committed to what they say they will build, finding where else to build it, respect of the challenges they find, you start finding more people support them because they are true to what they pitch them. So there's like, that convention comes from saying you will do this and doing it to the best of your ability. Saying you will do it and it does not mean does not mean it's going to be full success or a ride home, but it just means that you tried all possible best and you threw your mind at the problem. If the problem does not choose to crack or it was, is not cracking now, that's another conversation. But as people become more true to their word, commissions follow um, those kind of investments. Yeah, more people will be, be willing to take the risk. I mean, the thing is, like, I have, an, I have a portfolio of 100. I'll probably want to do safe bets, 70. On safe bets that can topple the returns of the 70, 30%. So I think, like, in 70%, at least 50% goes to return times two. Maybe 20% is going to return times three. And then I give 30% to returns times 10, if it will return times 10. So it's like, more people are just trying to go for more safe bets, yeah. So what can African investors do to make sure they are investing in better companies and scalable companies? Um, just like YC has been able to achieve um, for the past, I think, six years to seven years now. Um, what African companies can do first is to know the continent more and invest according to the growing sectors on the continent. That comes with you having a valid thesis that you work with a valid thesis you recognize, and you are able to see the kind of micro and macro thesis or scale on the continent that makes things grow. So now, YC looks at businesses. The first YC company is Paystack. Paystack is a lookalike to Stripe that was invested by YC in 2009. What Paystack does is Paystack means payment seamless. The, the combination of Stripe investing in, y, in Stripe in 2009 and investing in Paystack in 2015 helps them understand that if this is a problem in a developed market and there's a company building this with a good conviction, a proper team, yes, they should have a crack at this because this is a, more like a problem across all markets. And I believe that YC invests in great people that have found a problem they can solve but need some resources, enablement, and whatnot to be able to make those solutions scale. That's what African funders, African funders need to start investing with more convention. I mean, YC prior to now has been a good indicator, but YC from now onwards is trying to have its gains from indicating the right businesses that you should invest in. 
So is would you keep waiting on West's indication? Or would you also, I mean, invest in research, invest in, in working with founders at the very early stage, talking to them, growing with them, and understanding your market more than anybody? I mean, I don't think there's anybody on the continent here that will go to the U.S. and explain how the U.S. market runs YC. So it's the same way. We need to start making YC believe in our, believe in our bets, which is like, oh, where are the investors on your cap table? Oh, this company, this company is on my cap table. Oh, interesting. I mean, from the research they do, they publish, are things they know. Oh, yes, this might be something we should go with. And then we start having YC take companies off of what we've invested in, and that's because we have conviction. And we're also helping those companies that if you pass them on to YC, it's just global relevance and a stamp of, I mean, there are partnerships that those companies will be scaling off. Not market access and first round of funding and market insights that we should have better. So it's African founders can nail research, do more of the groundwork, be willing to take bets. I mean, some, yeah, the word risky is a bit not so comfortable, yeah, riskier bets. And, and, then, and then be more um, oriented on subsectors. So it's good to be a generalist. Like, I'm invest sector agnostic. That's amazing. But which sector do you know over the other? Do you know your primary sector, your secondary sector, over I do anything? And then if anything comes to you, you're like, oh, God, who is going to invest before me so I can know if this is good or not? So shout out to all the investors. I mean, I would love, I would love to drop names, but I mean, not go spam me. <laughs> but like, shout out to all the investors that do great work. Uh, and also, I, I invest in companies, even if YC won't touch those companies, and those companies go on to become great companies. You have seven unicorns on the continent, and I can say it's about just one or two that is XYC, Flutterwave. Um, InterSwitch, um, Fowry, Wave. Um, Opay, yeah, it's five. Yeah, so it's, you have those five great companies that in fintech, and they are unicorns. Yeah, okay, you have Swivel. Swivel is a boss alien solution, and I think one more then. So yeah, so those are, those are the things that, that we need to do better. We need to, we need to have more guts than what we've had before. Do I think there's any responsibility on African funders to boost Africa, the morale of African investors? Yes. Does this ecosystem, because there are multiple parts to it, works better if there's a collaboration and a sense of, I do my part, you do your part, we come together, we do great things together. Um, yeah, there, there is more things that founders can do, but the thing is, I'm not saying investors are the angels here. I'm not saying investors are like the holy grail or the best enough to slice bread here, no. Founders, first of all, deserve respect. Founders deserve support. And founders deserve um, different kind of mechanisms to make sure that their efforts is being appreciated. But what can they now do to push the morale of investors first? Founders doing the hard work as they see the, they see the problems, they should I mean, be more thoughtful about the solutions that they are kind of building out. Yeah, startup is a good way to make money. If you do it well, and you find somebody that finds real value in it and is willing to pay a shit lot of money for it, it's a good way to becoming a millionaire, but 
let's concentrate on the work first. The work brings the millions. Don't concentrate on the millions first. And then, because you, I mean, you're not a big boy, you do not remember that there is actually work. So, so, so there is that, I mean, giving investors that conviction, like, I will do what I promise to do. I will do my end of the bargain. You do your end of the bargain, which is promise to give me money, and I promise to support me when I need it. And what they can do again is founders should be more, I mean, more forthcoming with what they don't like. What we do not do well here on the continent is sharing feedback and receiving feedback. Founders would do better if they, if they communicate their feedbacks to the right channels, and then if they also take the feedback from the right channel in good faith. A lot of times, we are very good with passing the ball forward, which is like, I'm not the one to blame or blame this other person. A lot of times, we all have to share of the responsibility to make things work. So it's not like what should founders do, it's like what should everybody do to make collaboration more workable? It's everybody needs to do their end of the bargain appropriately. If you do it, there will be less challenges. And if you're able to find a round table or like um, a, a proper communication channel to share your what you, what you don't like, yeah, that, that also again makes things I mean, better understood across multiple parties. So, yeah, there, there are a couple of things that can that can be done to make things kind of like very much workable across everybody. So, yeah, it's not it's not me saying like founders need to do this. No, it's yeah, it's me saying we all need to do things better. Investors need to also, I mean, do their end of the bargain. You have a couple of investors that will say, I'll give you money, and then they won't write, they won't write, they won't wire checks, and then founders have to start chasing them with saves. No, this man I said is going to build. He said he's going to give him money. Give him the money, let him go and build. And then you have founders that are using the money to jack bar. I beg. The money, the money is going to jack bar. The investor is going to have to either put his, the investor's reputation is on the line for that money. So it's like, do your bit of it. Do it with diligence. Do it with convention. Do it with hard work. And then, and then investors, do your end of the bargain with full convention, in good faith, with trust and respect. And then I think we'd have something more. So it's, I mean, I love the question, what can African founders do? But it's like, what we must all be doing is more of, I mean, what works for me. Um, okay, so what can African founders, like uh, talking about domiciliation of companies across multiple markets. First, let me take it from this. Nigerian stock market was one of the best performing stock markets in the world at a particular time. But if you have a company today, would you rather list your company on Nigerian Stock Exchange or on New York Stock Exchange? I would bet you go on for New York Stock Exchange because of why? Because there are more people there that understand the market to invest and you have more access to more financial to capital there. So why do people, I mean, and then the jury is out on the Nigerians that they do their hardest work. Nigeria is an attractive market because you have, according to some quarters, 100 million people. That market is 80% below poverty level. So it's a lot of times, yes, it's a big market with a lot of people, but the people that you can target in that market, depending on what you sell, is limited. So now, know that if you're building a, a company, you, you are better have a bigger perspective than having an Nigerian loan perspective. So, why would yeah, then that now goes to like why should you register the company? So in the US, 
because of the system of governance they run, states are allowed to have some very interesting um, boundaries that they can set rules and regulation on, as in close cooperation and licensing and state rules, state laws. Delaware out Delaware beats all other states in the US for corporate for international cooperation. And it's because the Delaware laws are simple for companies, straightforward. The Delaware laws were set together with private and public players coming to them to do policies that work for the both sectors hand in hand. The taxes are straightforward. The, the channel for you to sell and hand over companies from one entity to the other is straightforward. And then the power to list, which is if you're not going to sell your company, you go to IPO, the power to list your companies on the best stock markets is straightforward. So, so a lot of times we say international corporate, people think it's only Delaware. No, you have Delaware. In Africa, you have Mauritius. There's Isle of Man. Um, in the in international markets, you have Singapore. You have um, the Chinese market, which is majorly Hong Kong stock market. You have the biggest financial hub in the world, London. So a couple of comp companies are choosing to go to markets where it is easy for them to transfer ownership or file for liquidity events like IPO and SPACs. I'm staying in markets where the laws are not really set up putting those type of businesses in mind. So now you're finding Interswitch is a Nigerian company, true and true. Interswitch is looking to go public. I mean, there's the rumors that are going public. Even though as a Nigerian company, they are still looking, they are still targeting to go to list on the London Stock Exchange side by side Nigeria, not just Nigeria alone. So you should understand the reason why a Nigerian company is in Nigeria. Yes, the Nigerian companies operationally, or they are really not Nigerian companies in incorporation. So first, people financing these companies are majority global players in international markets than market domiciled people. Like now, look at Paystack. How many people invested in Paystack that the entity set up in Nigeria? No, it lost. Even the local players are invested. A lot of the entities are set up as LPs, which is limited partners in the US. And if you look at when Paystack Stripe deal happened, it was more straightforward because Stripe is a Delaware incorporated company based in the US. Paystack is operating in Nigeria, but a Delaware incorporated company based in the US. The transfer of ownership was more seamless. But just having to imagine a striper to buy a Nigerian company and comes commanded with a Nigerian government that banned Twitter. The stock market is not doing the best at the moment. CAC, documentation and all those stuff. How easy do you think it is to transfer ownership? So these are the things that founders put in mind and they go and register their company, the holding companies in international markets are viable. So it's like access to liquidity events, transfer of ownership, tax and regulatory um, um, responsibilities, uh, and statutory obligations. And then sometimes, again, even the attractiveness of talents. International holding companies, you have stock, um, you have ESOPs, which is employee stock options, and different kind of options. If it's, in, if it's a more bigger and liquid market, it's better for you to kind of think about like, okay, either ways, the law, that holds people up in the U.S. Nobody's bigger than the law. The law is bigger than people. That stands in those markets. I mean, 
I can't really see how long, how well they start in Nigeria. So these are different things you need to look at. And then you would not want to blame founders on registering the holding companies abroad and the operational companies across the markets. And these companies are not just Nigerian companies. A lot of time, like a lot of companies, when they really want to scale, they become more of African companies than Nigerian companies. So for Andela, yeah, I mean, even Jumia. Jumia is a German company with operations in, the whole operation is in Nigeria. So it's like, yeah, it's an African company. I mean, when we claim the operation, but when you look at what is on paper, it's an international company. So it's, are they Nigerian startups? Yeah, they're operating in Nigeria. But are they Nigerian-owned startups? No, the owners have domiciled the companies abroad. Hmm. Okay, African com what can African governments do to make African, African companies more domiciled in Africa? It's, it's simple. Over some time, we're reading about Zambia, bringing together, I mean, um, startup CEOs and policy players and operators. And then, kudos to the Nigerian government, the startup builder is already being transferred to the National Assembly. First, people want to see a step towards the right direction. But it's sad that we have things like police hounding young Nigerians, saying there's no difference between working in a tech company and doing yao yao, and um, limiting people or kind of segregating people or labeling people because of hairstyles and they carry laptops, they carry devices, not remembering or channeling their mind that we live in a global infused market, which means that I mean, I'm anywhere doing anything for anybody across the world. So, um, what African, it starts with first, it starts for civic rights, civil rights. If African companies can begin to respect civil rights of their citizens, that's, I think that's one of the low-hanging fruits. Follow the court of law, like, if things are not done, approach the court of competence. Let things be fashioned out according to what we all agreed is going to guide us, which is the constitution. That means make proper laws and follow the laws. If you do that, there is a little bit of faith that if things come, push comes to shove, I'll approach a judge. And I approach a judge, whatever she says, I'll take it in good faith. And then the government too will take it in good faith. Also, taking policies of players to like players in different spaces needs to start contributing to policy making. I'm really impressed and proud of people that worked on the startup bill. Um, I mean, it's still a bill, it's not the law. But the fact that we can be able to come together as a community and work on something that can be a code of conduct for everybody is impressive. And we having like, we using the weight of influence we have across multiple quarters to push that forward. It's, if it becomes law or not, no, at least we tried, we, we did something. So those kind of things are the things that the government needs to begin to open his mind to, that if we want to attract companies, and that's a very, like, it's a little and good food for the government. Just imagine if you say, okay, startup bill, but because startup bill, we are going to do a tax bracket that people work in start people that work in startups that is that that are kind of being identified using these metrics will pay this kind of tax regulation. This is how we are going to map it and share it to the people like, oh, you guys want policy, okay, fine. These are the government who needs to make money of this sector. The government is making money, people are getting, I mean, people are getting hurt. Their contributions is moving forward. So these are like, it's an open mind thing. African governments need to start looking at African population as the most viable, um, the most viable means of, the most viable assets. 
like, like the world has recognized that Africa is going to have 78% of the world population by, by a particular year. This is the right time for us to now start looking for ways to incentivize people to remain here, work here, domicile their things here, than hounding them because they do crypto or hounding them because they do a kind of business. So move, but let me do politics. Fine, do politics, but also respect ways we can channel money, channel resources, be more cohesive, have a front where we can all go and now face international battles than being all around just trying to, I mean, it's like, somebody told me something like, African governments, are, they're like a dying breed. A dying breed, most times, they become, um, um, they become, they persecute because they look at themselves with fizzing and so they are fighting back and they fight, they don't fight, they rattle back. I mean, like they fight with everything they have. So we need to find more of like a middle point of like, even if you are leaving office, you are leaving power, and you are trying to hold on to it, there are different ways for you to be more, to still be enforcing, but things will also work in your, in your, in more of a middle point for everybody. So that's the best way for every kind of government to be able to attract more people. Work with the courts, do great policies, incentivize your people, hear their complaints, do something, move the needle. I mean, if people talk about police, do reforms. If people talk about exploitations, do. If people talk about fraud, find ways for us to kind of narrow down the, the fraud. Make the people, make them become even whistleblowers, people that are doing fraud, that are hiding under the guise of tech. Just imagine if the government protects me as a tech player. If I see a guy doing fraud, I'm like, yo, this guy is going to spoil the, rep the reputation I have. So please, the authorities, come take him off. And take him off and treat things in the proper accordance. I think that's like, some of the things I just think about that, it's a, it's a middle point and no angle for the government.